who is in your company, who's not in your company, who's growing, who's not growing, who's leaving really quickly, who's not, who gets trained, who gets skilled, who gets to speak for the company, whose ideas get heard, whose projects get greenlit. These are things that you really want to look at. And if you see patterns there, patterns that don't necessarily take you to where you want to be, that's your problem. Hi, I am Sophie Vu, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. Raise up your game development with a new podcast sponsor, Game Refinery. Having been the user myself, what I like about Game Refinery's tool is that it helps game developers take a more data-driven approach to adding features, metas, and live events to their mobile games at any stage of development, from new game development to growing the current portfolio of games. And what makes Game Refinery differ from a traditional market research tool is that its team of game analysts play and deconstruct the best-in-class mobile games on an ongoing basis, across 50 genres, hundreds of features, and thousands of live events. The data insights provided are actionable because they are based on data collected by real humans and not bots. And you will save a lot of time browsing through a database of almost 100,000 screenshot implementation that you can collect and share with your teammates. So want to learn more about how game developers like Zynga, Funplus, Rovio, Garena, and King use Game Refinery to build better games with leaner teams? Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or just check out the link in the podcast episode notes. So today I am sitting with Laura Smith and on a very exciting and also confusing topic, which is <laughs> DEI. So Laura Smith is an organizational researcher and DEI advocate active in the Nordics. The former head of diversity, equity and inclusion at Bolt and the current founder of Validay, a research agency specializing in assessments of DEI and scalability. Laura applies a data-informed approach to supporting viable businesses and ways of working. So today for this podcast, I wanted to bring in Laura to deconstruct the topic of DEI because myself as well, as I've read a lot about it and now in a position as the general manager on my new position in the company, I'm asking myself, how do I approach this big, big topic and make sure that I apply things without too many bias or with a lack of understanding on the topic. So hi, Laura. Thanks well, a lot for joining the conversation. How are you today? I am well, a little bit sick, but you know, I am happy to be here. So lovely to talk to you, Sophie. So first, I'd like to approach as well this big topic with approaching it more, you know, with a problem angle. Something I was asking myself as well is why DEI became such a big and almost overused word over the past two years. So I wanted to hear your thoughts, like why is it so big these days and is it a good thing or for which reason is it that big in organizations? Yeah, I would say in recent years, it's been a response to a lot of media pressure and a lot of social pressure. Okay, so we're talking about global companies quite often where in, like, in games or people who are you're launching things that affect people around the world that people are using everywhere. And so you have to think about the global unrest and different social contexts that people are existing in right now. 
So a lot of things the past couple of years uh, before COVID, there was things with like the Black Lives Matter. And then, of course, there was the Me Too movement and these kind of things that were coming up. And people started to consider how exactly does this, you know, impact people in you know work lives as well? How do companies respond to these things? So a lot of it came out to the PR side of things and sometimes some corporate virtue signaling. People were trying to say, hey, we're good companies or we stand for the right things. From a more practical standpoint, there's also been this huge war on talent right now. The fact is, if you are hiring for tech roles, you know it's really, really hard to get more developers these days. There's a lot of competition for senior employees. And that is just the fact. So the idea is not now can we try to make certain that we're getting the broadest possible pool of, you know, people who can do the job, basically. So we're trying to make certain that we don't artificially filter ourselves when we have a scarcity of talent at this point. But the fact is, DEI, just to clarify, it's not just about talent acquisition. It's not just about the different people that you have in the company. That's the diversity part of it. That's the D. But the E and the I are about equity and inclusion. So you do also have to think about, well, how exactly are your practices and how exactly are your ways of working in the organization? How are your policies? Are they making certain that you have people that are supported there to thrive? So not just in the organization as, you know, diversity decoration, but making certain that they actually have some impact that they can grow and thrive and do the job that they're there, that they're all there to do. Yeah, thanks for the clarification about it. Something I have observed and I wonder how much it has uh, shifted is also the motivation of qualified workers. So when mm. you have a choice, right, to choose a workplace, it seems to have been uh, more in the forefront, important to be in a place where those things are treated uh, seriously and with transparency. So what have been your observation here about on the not on the company side, but more on the worker side? Um, particularly in the last year or so, you've been seeing more selective employees. So employees are looking for places that are not going to be soul-crushing organizations to work in, you know. They do want to make certain that it's viable. People have gotten used to having a certain kind of work-life balance. They've gotten used to being able to have more choices in how they work and where they work. So that's a thing that, you know, that comfort level doesn't go away very easily. People are going to look for that. They're going to look for things that align and support, you know, what they're, what they are passionate about. As an employer, it's something where you have to start thinking about you're hiring human beings, not just talent, right? So you have to think about how can you make certain that you're accommodating these people and what does it take for these people to be activated and to be able to do, you know, the best they can in your company? And what's going to make them evangelists of your company? What's going to make them folks who are going to bring in their friends or, you know, recruit for you or, you know, want to be able to, you know, see things succeed there and not just, you know, get the job done with little passion and possibly lower performance in that sense. You got to think about those details, get the most, you know, from an employer side, you're thinking about how can you get the most from your employees. But from the employee side, we want to make certain they're getting the most out of their experience where they invest in eight hours a day. You know, they have choices now. So make certain that you are presenting a good choice. 
Good reflection then on the side of employees and why it matters actually to have at least a DEI positioning. And so on the other side, I've seen other trends as well, which are more certain uh, rejection to the whole idea of DEI. So what have you observed there as well from all your work and trying to, you know, exactly implement some programs in some organizations? That's actually very on point. The fact is DEI is kind of used as a buzzword. And I think people don't really understand what it's about. So the reality is, is that it's, you know, like I said, three different things. You've got diversity. And the fact is you are going to have different people in your company. That's going to happen. So that's just a reality. You want to make certain that they are plugged in and empowered to do what they're there to do. That's inclusion. Yay. Equitability is making certain you got the structures and processes to do that, um, that people are getting fairly treated and fairly compensated. And I think no one objectively is actually against those things, but it's just a matter of, you know, people think of it as three different things, three different kind of triggers. One is the corporate BS. I mean, so that's something I hear a lot. And the reality is when you leave it at just, you know, you're doing this because PR told you to, or employer branding told you to, well, then that is kind of corporate BS. Or for instance, studios in Europe, they'll feel that this is more like an American import. Like this is something that's not really relevant for their region. It's not really relevant for what they're up to. But the fact is, wherever you are, there is going to be some difference. Think about how different people get treated based off of different functions. How are you treating your customer support people? How are you treating your your testers? How are you treating the people who are maybe in some of the less prestigious roles in your company? You got to think about those things and they matter as well. So you want to make certain that people get voices and that people can get heard no matter who and how they are in the company. But I think, you know, people will have this assumption that is corporate BS. The second one would be maybe trigger be that it's, you know, all, all talk and no walk. You can say, you know, it's just People who actually had hopes, like, yes, this is going to change things. I am finally going to get my voice heard. This is going to make it better. And then some folks come in with initiatives and they do some programs or they have a workshop. And you know what? Nothing happens from that, generally speaking. So that's going to be a thing where people are so pissed off about, like, they had their hopes up for, about this and then nothing happened. And a third group of people who find it like triggering will be maybe the, the people who are afraid that it's actually going to do something and it's going to be something that's going to be against them, like the anti-me crowd, I would say. To the folks who will say, ah, you know what? I am a straight white man. Oh my gosh, DEI is something that's against me or something. And that's absolutely not the case. It's about making certain that everybody in the company gets a fair share, gets a fair shake to be able to do what they're there to do and that we can support folks in the way they need to be supported to do that. I find the last point quite interesting, the anti-me, because I can imagine, I would say more than understand, that uh, when you have been used uh, all your life to have access to certain privileges without knowing that there were, mm-hmm. it feels to me a bit like uh, in a family, you have been the soul kid all that time, and suddenly the new <laughs> town a new baby and a sibling and then you have to share you have to share the toys you have to share everything Mm -hmm. and then that means you have you will have less or you will you will lose something for the benefit of someone else so i can understand that fear which is a valid one Mm -hmm. probably not talked so much about so i'm trying here to play the devil advocate where we talk Mm -hmm. a lot about the correcting the unfairness of treatment for people who don't have access to like repairing, correcting on the other side, but maybe there's a conversation as well to have 
for the ones who are on the other side, like the ones like typical white, you know, men, and mm. what are the things that are really lost if they are real, and what kind of conversation can we have around it to, you know, make things uh, us meet halfway if it's even possible? But that makes me reflect like, is there something that can also be conversation that could happen as well to mm. be inclusive of the people who are anti uh, me, you know? Yeah, I think. It's actually really interesting. I love the analogy you gave of the family situation. That's beautiful. Because, yeah, when you do bring in new kids to the family, then what's going to happen? You know, you there's going to be some change in how things work, sure, to make it function, to make certain that those the new kid gets included too. But you got a whole extra person in your life. That's a beautiful thing. You know, you got to also think about the benefits that you're going to get from this. When it comes down to the reality, and I, I should mention, I look at business development and look at organizational development. And that's actually how I got to DNI. So for me, I also think about the financial side of things. Generally speaking, when you have more diverse input when it comes to like, for instance, your product side, when you have more diverse input when it comes to, you know, understanding the customers, when you have, you know, understanding the markets that you're in, these type of things, you're going to perform better as a company. Okay. When we talk about who that's going to benefit. Realistically, when you look at the cap tables and ownership of the companies, most of these companies in tech and games are owned by, you know, straight white men, right? So mm -hmm. ultimately, it benefits them financially, probably disproportionately more than does anybody else. So if you're looking at what are you going to get out of it, the answer is probably going to be more money. But, mm -hmm. you know, if that's a motivator for you, great. If you can care about people too, I would love that. But if you don't care about people, then you should probably care about your paycheck. And that's the thing to think about. Yeah, that's actually another way to approach the conversation based on the intrinsic motivation of some people. And here without judgment of why should they care if it's not like for the people, like you said, but at least financially it will have an outcome, right? Mm. So now as well with your work, I was curious to hear about your observation, talking to several organizations about standard practices that you've seen in uh, DNI implementation in organizations. So, you know, starting like the good, the bad, the things that work, <laughs> things that are still challenges. And yeah, what have you seen there? What I find is that a lot of people out there are going to sell you things like bias awareness trainings. Okay. And this is a thing that people will come in with and they'll say, hey, we need bias awareness trainings. And from a researcher standpoint, I would be really remiss if I didn't tell you that at the best case scenario for that, you're going to have basically no outcome or like it's not going to make any improvement necessarily if you just do the bias awareness trainings. And the more slightly more likely scenario is that you're going to have a backlash and that's going to, in that sense, reduce some positive outcomes or the possibility of positive outcomes for certain groups. So What I would like to make certain people do is don't think about just the bias awareness trainings where you, you get the sessions. You're like, wow, man, I am, I didn't know I'm, I'm secretly like racist or sexist or ableist or something like that. And you, you feel bad for a second. And then like the next day you feel better because you felt bad yesterday. And you're like, wow, I, I, I've grown as a person. So what I like to encourage companies to do instead is to think about intervention identification. So yes, you can find out that you have biases, Woo, just like everybody else in the world. Good for you. The thing is, though, what, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> That's the important thing. Where are they going to come in? 
if you find out that hmm, maybe we have biases against, you know, women, okay, that's common enough. Where does that come in? Where is that going to possibly affect you and how you're operating? How is it going to affect who you get in the company? How is that going to affect your evaluations when you talk about how people are performing in the company? You know, you look for where these things actually are going to pop up and matter. Okay. And then you start thinking about, hmm, what can we do to mitigate that potential bias? So if it's something that's going to be a prompt, if it's something that's going to be a, you know, I found like one company was saying that they ended up, they're realizing that they were getting mostly 90% males for their, um, that they were passing on to like the interview stage. And we're actually not in the interview stage, like at a little bit later in the funnel, they're realizing that they were making offers like 90% males. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that they didn't have female applicants in their pool. It was just somewhere in the interview stage or something like this, the people that they allocated time to just tended to be disproportionately men. And it's not that they were disproportionately better. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. So what they wanted to do is like, okay, well, let's make certain that we'll have We'll make sure that we have 50% men getting into the interview, you know, we're going to talk to 50% women. And the quality was on par with those. Okay. And when they did that, when they actually realized that there was something that was creeping in beforehand that was making them say, oh, you know, I know this guy. Oftentimes it was a network connection. So mm-hmm. it would be, there were more men who had, who were like friends with people in the company and thus they got to the interview stage or something like that. So they started saying, okay, we'll, we'll make certain that we have it like 50-50 in the sense, and then we'll see how it goes from there. And from there, they actually got to 50-50 outcome when it comes to hiring. It was just a matter of realizing that there was a point in their funnel where, okay, this is where the biases are going to creep in. You know, when you see the resume from like, and the portfolio from a friend versus from, you know, anybody else out there that's a point where you're going to make those calls, which are you call homogeneity hires, you know? So people talk about diversity hires, usually the biggest issue is going to be more homogeneity hires. So you've got people who are like you or people who you know in some ways, and they tend to get like this bonus when it comes to evaluations. You tend to not scrutinize them nearly as well. And so if you can find a way to bypass that and say, okay, actually, well, we're going to make certain that, you know, set some kind of safeguard in there that works out. That's what you call an intervention identification, and that's far more effective. So don't just say, hmm, man, there's a potential for bias to creep in. Say, what are we going to do about it? You know, and what's a way to try to make a process that can kind of, in some ways, bypass that bias in a sense. Let's take a short break to hear a few words from a sponsor who are making this episode possible. In today's challenging mobile game market, the most successful games grow and retain players by continuously adding new features, metas, and live events. Game Refineries 2 lets you scale up your collection and analysis of the best practices behind the most successful games today without building out a big team to do so, so you can spend less time playing your competitors' games and more time improving your own. You already use data to optimize your UI and monetization, Now use a data-driven approach to game production, whether you are developing new games or growing existing ones. Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or check out the link in the podcast episode notes. Now, let's get back to our conversation. 
I know it's a big uh, question I I'm going to ask, but we need to start from somewhere. So what I'm asking here, especially for the listeners who are in this situation, is like, okay, we are aware of those problems. Where do we start? And what kind of people should even be driving those changes, for example? Okay. So let, let's take a look at the start part first. You said they're aware of the problems. Now, here's a fun thing. There's a big difference between a problem and an issue. A problem and a situation, okay? Mm. Um, so you might be aware that there's a situation in your company where hmm, maybe you have, you know, there's not a lot of diversity or maybe there are a lot of people who are leaving for different demographics or a situation where not everybody's going to grow in the company or not everybody's thriving or being promoted, these kind of things. Now, those are situations. It becomes a problem when it is something that's not aligned with what you want to be as a company or what the outcomes are that you're trying to target. So I think the biggest thing to start with is to figure out who you want to be as a company. What kind of company do you want to be? All right. That's the first place to start. And then you start thinking about where are you now? Okay. So let's say, for instance, if you are saying, yeah, we should be a company that we're building the best products in the world. We're building the best games or the best services for everybody around the world to be able to use, to be able to, you know, spark happiness for them. Beautiful goal, all right? And you have everybody in your company that grew up within 100 square kilometers of each other. You don't know about the different people in the world. You don't know what's going to spark happiness for them. How on earth are you going to build for them? That becomes the problem at that point, okay? So you're going to need to find out what is that that thing that matters? What's that, that motivating you know, fact that burning platform for your company, the mismatch between what you want to be and what you want to do and how you are right now. Okay. That means you also are going to have to evaluate how are you right now? So you could take a look at, you know, your employee data that you have, you know, you could take a look and find out, you know, who's in your company, who's not in your company. Is that going to be something that's going to be misaligned to your goal? You got to think about who's growing, who's not growing, who's leaving really quickly, who's not, who gets trained, who gets skilled, who gets to speak for the company, whose ideas get heard, whose projects get greenlit. These are things that you really want to look at, okay? And if you see patterns there, patterns that don't necessarily take you to where you want to be, that's your problem, all right? But you have to make certain that there is a problem first and you can identify what that problem is before you start saying, let's build out solutions and let's build out, you know, these actions and initiatives, which, you know, people may not at that point see as having anything to do with how they are as a company or what they should be doing in their role. I think it's a very good reminder to start again, back to, uh, you know, the source, <laughs> a sense of the organization, like why do you exist? What are you trying to achieve here? Mm -hmm. Because it can be very overwhelming and just to jump in the train of DNI and get some training here and there and with not really a clear outcome and probably leading to some frustration because people don't even understand what, what are we doing here with all those trainings or those warnings or whatever we try to set in place. So it's harmful as well for the whole purpose of it as a result. I think it's interesting when you start talking about why does DNI matter in general? I think that you had to have that motivation first. Why is it something relevant? At the very base level for a company, aside from, like I said, the people side, aside from people who care, because realistically, you're not going to have a hard time winning over the people who care about people. That's going to be something, those are the easy folks to get on board. 
what I want you to think about is that the majority of people who are like, I'm working a job <laughs> and I've got, I've got a lot of other things to think about. I got a lot of other priorities and this is just something that's extra. Those people who think about that, who think in that way, you got to address this. But the reality is you're building something with people that's going to be used by people. Okay. And you need to make certain that you have the relevant insight to be able to execute on that successful product or service. You need to make certain that you have the relevant skills. And that's going to be a diverse set of skills, diverse set of, you know, people that you're listening to who can execute in that sense. And you want to make certain that you have that impact as well. Um, so that what you're building is really going to reach the target folks. And that means you're going to have to know something about them. That means you're going to have to, you know, build with people in mind. So in that sense, at the very base level, every company, no matter what you're doing, you know, especially if you're in tech or games, you are a people company, all right? You're building products for people. You're building services for people. And if you don't have people in mind, it is darn hard to execute with that viability. It's darn hard to scale that. And it's really, really hard to be able to, in a tight market right now, as the games can be super competitive. If you don't have that edge to understand your markets, if you don't have that edge to understand the people, and if you don't have the edge to be able to listen to the folks you have in your company and leverage all that insight and leverage what they're all bringing to the table in your team, then you are setting yourself up for failure. And that's a bad investment for anybody at this point. Here, I would like to just um, ask further, for example, as you go through the assessment, okay, who are we as a company? What are we trying to achieve here? And where are we? And we see the gap. So let's say uh, we've done this assessment as the leadership team and we see, uh oh, we don't have so many women, for example, part of our leadership or part of the overall like uh, staff, or we don't have so many people of color. Why is that? So what kind of people should we bring in to help here or who should we talk to? Because there are so many offers these days. I see programs and uh, it's quite overwhelming where I, I'm, I'm on a paralysis analysis. Like I don't even know what is a good option if we wanted even to get some help there. So mm-hmm. what practices do you see as are effective? What would you advise based on your experience? You know what? I This differs in the kind of company that, this is in, of course, but what I find to be really useful is when you equip the people in your company with the insight and the knowledge, like data, basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to understand what's going on, how to change it. A lot of times, let me give you an example. Um, people will do, for smaller companies, they'll do like pulse surveys or they'll find out things about engagement and they'll find out, okay. My team is feeling not very motivated or maybe they're not feeling that, you know, when you get real-time data and things like this, that's something that helps people to be able to, you know, act on it. I believe in decentralized ownership of DNI development, okay? I think it's useful to have a person in like a central role for being able to like maybe keep track of metrics and strategy and things like this if you're a larger organization. For smaller organizations though, it's really relevant to make certain that people have um, an understanding of the data, like maybe on their dashboard, or maybe they get regular kind of reports, things that come out automated, you know, that's something that's useful. But when you're just getting started and you you look at this and you find the problem and you're like, okay, what do I do now? The first thing to look at is you've got information as to what the context is or what the problem is. Prioritize what's the most valuable for your business at the time. You can't do everything at once, particularly if you don't have anybody who's leading it centrally. 
So pick the thing that is going to be most relevant for your company right then, uh, most relevant for your business, and then double down on that. So if you find that, hey, a big thing is all of our games that have been greenlit so far have only come from teams that are led by guys. We have not had a single game launch that, you know, has any like women in any you know, senior position on that team. That's a thing that you should start thinking, hmm, maybe that's something we could, you know, diversify a little bit on in that sense. That might become, you know, something that people can understand a bit more. After you figured out the what, what the problem is, then you start looking at the why, okay? Figure out why has this happened? This is a point where you start, you know, you can bring in some external researchers or something like this. Um, you can look at your decision-making processes. You can look at your communication processes. Those are things where you want to take a look and find out what is the, what's the leak in the funnel, okay? All right, and those are considerations where you want to identify next. Then you start looking at the how. How can you change? What can you make integrated into your process? This is one company I was working with or I looked at for some time. What they ended up doing was having anonymous idea suggestions. They started adding that in as a possibility. So they would drop that like once a month. People can think about their ideas in advance or, you know, some companies can do this once a week and they would do this anonymously. It might be that there was a prompt that kind of gets dropped maybe a day or two before. So folks don't have a lot of time to back channel their ideas. So you don't really know whose ideas are coming from where. And then they will vote on it there, you know, like a live session digitally. So you don't really get to see who's, you know, who's voting on these, which ones or not. And then that tends to be a way to circumvent some things with the biggest influencers and the people with the largest, the loudest voices, you know, getting their things shoehorned through. You get more diverse options in that way. And that was a way that one team was able to build in a different process. So what you want to do is try to find not just a new program, try to find a new process that can work to be able to change the output that you're finding to be problematic. Okay. So first start off, identify what the problem is. Secondly, identify why that is. That one, once again, you can get a researcher. That's pretty convenient, pretty easy to do. And then you can find out what are some interventions that can work to change your processes and ways of working a little bit to be able to get you to more of what you want to be as a company and the outcome you're looking to have. And as we are also reaching the end of our conversation today, is there something that we haven't tackled and discussed that you think is important that we should still mention? Just one quick thought. As I was saying, DNI development is something that happens through, you know, it happens through inclusion. Everyone has to kind of be involved in this one. It's not something that you can allocate to your HR person and that person does it. It's not something that you could just allocate specifically to like your CEO and now this person becomes that, you know, that mouthpiece or your your comms person. It's not that kind of thing. In the same way that, you know, you wouldn't say your strategy as a business is something that just one person executes or it's not something you say, yeah, the culture, you know, that's that's that person's job, you know. This is something that everybody has to do, but we have to make sure that you do is making it relevant and practical for everybody. So if it comes down to inclusion and things like this, how exactly are you empowering people? Well, make it certain that everybody, you know, that people in each individual teams, that they get something that they can look at. What's something they can keep track of? What's a metric that matters for them? All right. When it comes down to equitability and fairness, you know, what's a thing that you all can monitor across the company? 
it has to be something that people can feel that they have ownership on that they can actually do and they can it helps them do their job better okay so it has to be relevant to their job and not just you know this fuzzy idea what's going to help them execute better what's going to help them do a better job and what they're what they're trying to do in their company so you can make it practical that's that lovely thing that keeps it going and makes it something that becomes integrated to how you are as a company and not just some bullshit employer branding <laughs> Well, thanks a lot for your insights today, Laura. For me, at least, it gave me a lot of clarity on how to approach it as I'm also in, in this journey mm -hmm. uh, with my new role. And I know where to start and with more confidence after our conversation. So thanks a lot for uh, your insights. And I'm pretty sure we'll be in touch soon again as I will have follow-up questions around the topic. Well, my pleasure. And I'm wishing you all the best as you lead this and help champion this topic in your company. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week and until the next time, 